Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. The producer had called me and she'd said, you need to be at this remote park in Alexandria. The bus is going to pick you up at 12. That's where you need to go. And I was like, okay, I'll be there. Didn't show up. So then I got a phone call that afternoon saying, Laura, you weren't there. Do you still want to do the show? And I said, no, I've decided I'm not going to do it. And she was like, okay, well, if you change your mind, we'd really like you to. And um, if you change your mind, can you please be at the Ultima Hotel by 11 a.m. tomorrow morning? And I was like, cool, not going to happen. That's so great night. And um, then I had a dream that I had to go on the show. And I woke up at 4 a.m. and I called my sister and I said, you need to get the F over here. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this In Conversation episode of Shameless, the podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. This week on the show, we are joined by the absolutely delightful Laura Byrne. You might remember Laura from her time on The Bachelor, where she won Maddie J's heart and the affection of the whole country too. Outside of reality television, though, Laura runs Tony May, a jewellery company full of handcrafted pieces that she started selling at markets for fun outside of her day job. We meet a lot of people in this job, but we have to say Laura is one of the kindest, warmest, most down-to-earth women we've had the pleasure of chatting to. We caught up with her in Sydney not long ago, just before she got engaged, to talk all things love, business, miscarriage and pregnancy. Here's Laura. Laura Ben, welcome to the show. Hi guys, thanks for having me. Thank you for coming, you're pregnant and you still made time for us. It's so fine, yeah, I just waddled my way down here. (laughs) We start every show in exactly the same way and that is wanting to know if you have anything that you are listening to, reading, watching at the moment that you would recommend to other people. Oh God, well I've just started watching Bachelor in Paradise, I don't know if that counts. Um, I've just started reading Rumours, Rumours? Um, but I can't recommend it yet because I'm not far enough into it. So. What is the book about? Literally do not know, but have seen actually Zoe Foster Blake. She had put it on her Instagram and I was like, oh, I'll read that then. She Literally, has some good ones, doesn't she? Recommendations some on her crackers. stories. Literally one time in one Instagram story, Zoe Foster Blake was like, you guys need to get tubular mascara. Tubular mascaras will change your life. And ever since then, I'm like, I believe that tubular mascaras <laughs> are the best mascaras ever. You're a born again tubular mascara Literally. girl. I am here for this. I, didn't even, I don't, still don't really even know what they are, but I'm like, guys, got to get tubular mascara. I bet you don't even think it's that good. You're just like, I'm sure it's good. I'm well, sure it makes me look as beautiful. As soon as Zoe endorses something, I'm like, I love that too. I'm, yeah, I know. She's amazing. Actually amazing. I'm interested that you are still so more than interested in watching the Bachelor franchise. Um, is there, like, are you just still super intrigued by it? I, do you know what? The funny thing is, is that before doing the show, I never watched the show. And now I love watching the show. But I think that it's the other way around for most people. So I think most people who go on it yeah. kind of try and distance themselves afterwards. I just love it for the entertainment value now. And because I genuinely know that it can change people's lives, not to sound all, you know, romance. No, but, but it's true. It has that effect. So like we, we know a lot of the people who are on it and Matt and I love watching it. So it's really entertaining for us. Interesting. And any other like Netflix recommendations? What do you like on Netflix? Oh, I'm so pregnant. All I do is watch TV now. It's disgusting. <laughs> I've watched everything. What haven't I watched? Um, you, I watched all of that. Did you like it? It made me frightened for my life yeah. and also questions some of my past relationships. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Well, just 
how much you put on social media, that's for sure. Oh, and then I got into a handmaid's tale, and that's a terrible idea when you're God, pregnant. A grim time for yeah, you pregnant. <laughs> really grim. I got through the first season, I was like, maybe we'll leave that one. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Uh, Laura, we do ask every interviewee on this podcast, what were you like as a child? What was your childhood like? Oh, I was a rat bag. I was awful. I was missing all of my front teeth, so I had no front teeth or the teeth next to that. So you can just imagine this little gummy gremlin running around <laughs> causing havoc. Um, I was really naughty. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I remember when I was really little, I, we used to get given stickers in year two, if you were well behaved and I never got any stickers. So I stole them and went home and told my mum I was so good that I got all these stickers. And then she found out I stole them and I got into so much trouble, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good now. Did you grow realized- out of that? Yeah, I don't steal stickers anymore. <laughs> no, I did. I was just I was just a crazy little kid. And then by the time I got to high school, I kind of settled down. Yeah. Were you studious at high school? Or? Yeah. Yeah. I think I just, I did a full 180. And so I, um, yeah, ended up being yeah really studious and did really well in school. Wow. So did you grow up in Sydney? Have you been here forever? No, I've been here for 10 years and I grew up in Wollongong. Yeah, from the gong. Good old South. <laughs> Country is it, kid. Is yeah. it only a few hours from Sydney, right? Yeah, it's only an hour and a half. But my family is all still down there. And um, yeah, it's just, just a bit of a country town on the coast. So nice. Was What was the plan for you? Like when you were becoming quite studious at school and you were doing quite well, what did you think you wanted to do? So I always wanted to do something creative. Like I always wanted to work doing something in fine arts. That was my, like, that was my vision, but I didn't really think I could make a career out of doing that. So I went to university and I was, you know, really unsure about where I wanted to go with it. Uh, I studied graphic design. I studied a bit of biology. I kind of was a bit all over the shop. And then uh, I came out of that career or out of that university degree and I started doing my honours, which was also in fine arts and graphic design. And then I went into working in studio and I was working as a graphic designer for quite a while. So for you, was that kind of a compromise almost that you wanted to yeah. do something arty and creative, but this was the way to make money and do it in a corporate way? Well, massively, because I mean, to live in Sydney, anyone that lives in Sydney knows how expensive it is to actually try and forge a life here. And so to try and be an artist on one hand and then on the other hand, I was like, but I really like to buy things. <laughs> how am I going to do this? So I completely sold out and ended up working in a very, very uncreative capacity which was like pharmaceutical design so that was what I was doing until I started doing my jewelry business which is kind of what progressively moved me into a very creative career. Can you tell us about your jewelry business? What what was the I guess birth of that business like? Was there a conversation that you had with someone or a day that you remember where you thought I'm going to do this? It's actually really funny so I remember reading an article about Samantha Wills and I had already been doing jewellery myself as a hobby and I was doing Bono Markets and I remember reading this article about how she'd started and she was from a small coastal town and she had started Bondi Markets and I was reading this going, this is me, I can do this, I can be Samantha Wills, <laughs> certainly not Samantha Wills, <laughs> but it really gave me the inspiration to to sort of put more energy into something that had always been a hobby but was in no way making me an earning – like it wasn't making me an earning potential at all. So I started doing the markets a little bit more seriously and I started to sort of reach out to how I could do wholesale or how I could do – get a sales agent and then from there it just it just grew. How do you do that though? I know when you say well, – I think when anyone has a passion that they or an idea, it, it's one thing to have that passion or idea. It's another thing entirely to work out the detail around getting it off the ground. So you say I needed a sales agent. I needed to call and work out if it could sell wholesale – where do you start? Oh, I think it was, for me, it was a lot of ignorance. Like I just had such an inflamed capacity of my own ego. I was like, I can do everything. <laughs> and so failing was just not an option. It was not going to happen for me. So I definitely failed multiple times in what I thought was the right way of doing something, but I just kind of reworked it and redid it again. And so for me, I think I spent so much time at my actual job researching how to start a business. So I was getting paid to do that. Sorry to my old bosses (laughs) if they're listening. Um, And I spent a good six months kind of working a full-time job and then doing Tony May as a side hustle. And it was once I'd had a little bit of money in in the bank that I kind of was able to move into doing it full-time. It only took you six months to realise that there was earning potential there? It took me six months to realise there was earning potential. It took me about a year and a half to actually get the balls to quit my job though. So, And it, it became a tipping point. So it became the point where 
I was making more or not more money by any means, but as much money from my nine to five job as what I was from my side hobby, my side hustle. And that I was like, well, one of these has to give because I'm not doing either of these jobs properly anymore. And neither, like I was making mistakes at work. I was staying up all night making jewelry. And so I just had to make that sacrifice. I think people forget the stories behind the brands they do see on Instagram and probably don't see the hours that go into that in the early days. What were those days, those early days like when you were working both jobs? Like what were your days looking like? My, when I was working both jobs, I would get up at about 3am and I would make jewelry every single morning. Then I would go to work and then I would spend my entire day researching what I needed to do for my jewelry business. And um, then I'd come home from work and I had a little tiny studio set up in my, what was a laundry at the back. Um, and I'd sit there and I'd make jewelry all, all night until I'd finish my orders or finish enough stock to be able to do the markets. And it was kind of um, supply on demand. So as I would sell a piece at the markets, I would make a new piece to replace that piece so that way okay, we'd always have some sort of stock on hand. But it just got to a point where it, it wasn't sustainable. And that was when I decided, okay, we're going to take this seriously. I do feel like when you start your own venture, naivety is such a powerful tool though. Like as you said, you had this ignorance about what it actually entailed. I feel the same with Zara and I, that when we started this podcast and when we started this business, we had no clue how many hours and how much money would be involved to actually invest. I I actually think it's a blessing in disguise because if you knew the complexities of what it involves to start a business or to start a venture and you could have the foresight to see all those hurdles that you're going to face, you would never do it. You would never actually pick yourself up and go, okay, well, we're going to, I'm going to throw $30,000 into this when I have no savings. That sounds crazy. But I think as you do it, you take one step each day and you get a little bit closer. And then when a problem comes up, you're like, well, I've already come this far, so we're just going to have to overcome this. And then you're, you're so far down the rabbit hole that, you know, it's got to work. Just You've got, got no other going. option. Yeah. Can you tell us about your decision to go on The Bachelor? As you said, you never watched it. I never watched it. So um, I had actually just come out of a really, really shitty relationship. And um, I was a bit uh, emotionally drained, I think I would say. What made the relationship bad? Uh, he was... Um, Oh, uh, he, he was, he was definitely a narcissist and really emotionally manipulating. Great. Uh, That's what you yeah. were you together for. Uh, we were sort of on and off for a year and then together for a year and then it just imploded. It was really, it was just really toxic. And I think at that point in my life as well, I was 30. And so I was really hoping that that was going to be my big relationship. And I felt like I'd put a lot of energy and effort into it. And I was just a bit exhausted afterwards and I had moved in to a house with two really awesome housemates um, who I became really good friends with and they were the ones. So they, we were drunk on the lounge one night and Osha popped up on the screen being like, are you looking for love? (laughs) And they were like, Laura's looking for love. And so they entered me and it all started out as a bit of a joke. And between the time when we entered and when I actually got the call up and then when we went into filming, there was quite a, quite a bit of time between that, almost maybe five or six months. So I got the call up in December and I had even forgotten that this had all gone down. And I remember I was at, um, in North Sydney, I was uh, at the boathouse having breakfast with a girlfriend. I was like, I think I, I think I just got called to go and audition for The Bachelor. And it became like just a massive joke between my friends half of them were like you absolutely have to do it the other half were like you're insane you would suck on reality tv (laughs) well you're very normal that's the thing well yeah and so one of my girlfriends she made me watch instead of making me watch the bachelor she made me watch unreal and she said you need to know what it's going to be like smart yeah i don't know i think it's really dumb i think ignorance is bliss in these sorts of things (laughs) so um anyway it just it, it it just snowballed at the start i said no to it um Um, But the Bachelor producers actually really hounded me. Um, I said no up until the day of of actually going in. I wonder if that's because they knew that you would be compatible. You had qualities that Maddie was looking for. I think they had some idea, but I didn't know that. So I had no clue that that was the case. But I think that... I ticked a lot of Matt's boxes and so they were like, we need, we need her in here. We need someone um, who's not a villain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, but that's the thing. You don't know whether you are the villain. You don't know whether you're being chosen because you're crazy or you're not. Cra- and I felt pretty crazy at the time. So I was like, maybe I am the crazy person. Did you know it was Matt? Um, no, well, I had 
kind of heard the rumors that it was him, True. but because I hadn't watched the season, I didn't really have a good concept of who he was as a person. Um, so it, it, that wasn't really the catalyst for going on. I, I didn't even tell my mum I was going. I thought I would be in there for two weeks and I'd be coming home. So Wait, you were there and she didn't know you were Yeah, there. I had. So I actually, <laughs> this, it sounds insane because you have so long to decide as to whether you're doing the show or not. But I had said yes, no, yes, no, on, off the whole time leading up to it. And the producer had called me and she'd said, you need to be at this remote park in Alexandria. The bus is going to pick you up at 12. That's where you need to go. And I was like, okay, I'll be there. Didn't show up. So then I got a phone call that afternoon saying, Laura, you weren't there. Do you still want to do the show? And I said, no, I've decided I'm not going to do it. And she was like, okay, well, if you change your mind, we'd really like you to. And um, if you change your mind, can you please be at the Ultima Hotel by 11 a.m. tomorrow morning? And I was like, cool, not going to happen. That's so great night. And um, then I had a dream that I had to go on the show. And I woke up at 4 a.m. and I called my sister and I said, you need to get the f over here and you help me pack my time. bags <laughs> sorry oh my god no I'm, I'm i'm pregnant born again i don't swear anymore <laughs> the baby might hear. yeah this might be the first word might be fuck it'd be horrible <laughs> so your sister drove over so my sister drove over at four in the morning we packed my bags she drove me to the ultima hotel i said goodbye to my housemates they told me i was insane and then i didn't see anyone for three and a half months and i was gone to the bachelor world so oh my god at what point do you call your mum and say hi so Two weeks after. So you can only call your family when you're in the house. You can call one person from your family every two weeks and you can speak to them for, I think it was 10 minutes. And it's a, it's a monitored phone call. So Sounds I, like some weird kind of jail. Camp, yeah. jail. <laughs> jail. I'm pretty sure you get more call rights in jail. <laughs> wow. So I called my mum and I was like, hey, you probably already know. I'm filming a TV show. <laughs> and how did she respond? Uh, she was fine. She was like, I expect nothing less. <laughs> You're insane. What do you do with your jewelry business in that time? So I was really lucky at the time. Like my sister was already helping out quite a bit and we were going through a bit of a growth period. But in the same instance, we'd set up a lot of processes um, so that things were quite automated. So I felt like I was finally getting on top of the business anyway and I was kind of working more on it than in it, which was really nice. So like I said, I I thought I was only going to be gone for two weeks. So I asked my sister to kind of be me for a little while and step into the role a little bit more full time. Just three months, no big deal. Yeah, I was like, babe, I'll be home so soon as if he's (laughs) going to keep me around. I can't find a guy in Sydney, let alone on a TV show. So, um, so So she took over it and then it just, same thing. She just kind of dealt with the hurdles as they came up each day at a time. And each day I was in there longer and longer and longer and... Funnily enough, the business did really well while I was gone. So, so <laughs> now she you. works full time for Tony May, and I gave her a raise. So, what was that filming period like in that three and a half months? How did you find it all? It's really, really challenging. Even though it's so silly because it's not really like it's not really challenging. It's not one of those big life things. Like no one's died, nothing terrible's happened. But being around some toxic people and being in that very intense pressure cooker just really doesn't bring out the best in people at times. So for me, I found it really challenging. And also because I'd watched Unreal, I spent the whole time thinking I was being manipulated. So instead of being able to enjoy it and kind of swim with the river and swim with the current, I was always pushing against the producers. Yeah. So they would be like, so do you love him? And I was like, no, why do you want to know? Why do you want me to say this? And that wasn't necessarily to my benefit either. So I think that sometimes I really tried to be the strong and independent person, even though inside I was crushed because I didn't want to come across as being weak on TV or I didn't want to come across as being manipulated in any way. And so it wasn't always to my benefit that I behave like that, I think. Interesting. Can you give us some insights as to what an actual day of filming is like? Say the rose ceremony. Oh, It seems to go forever and by the end everyone seems really drunk. They go forever. And everyone who looks like they're really emotional at the end is probably just really drunk. (laughs) So on a day of filming a rose ceremony... Um, you don't really have any other filming in the morning. You get up quite early and it's a day of doing boxies. So just recapping on the dates, recapping on the week, um, people kind of doing their own little like video diary. And then everyone goes into hair and makeup, but there's only maybe six hair and makeup ladies for all of the girls. So at the beginning, it's a really long process because there's 24 girls or 22, I think. 
And um, each girl gets an hour in hair and makeup. And so hair and makeup usually finishes around 6 p.m. Those poor hair and makeup artists. Oh, they, get, they are absolute angels. Wow. And they were just such lovely people to be around as well because they were, they were the one sort of connection to normal- yeah. normality in the whole thing. So uh, you'd have your one hour with your hair and makeup lady and then you would go straight into filming. And that filming would go from 6 p.m. until maybe 2 or 3 in the morning. Oh my goodness! Two yeah, it was three in the morning. Yeah, so when the actual rose ceremony is finished, it's about three a.m. Oh my god! You must be exhausted by the end of all that, and just be looking at each other, being like, "Give me the fuck to bed." Sorry, baby. Yeah. <laughs> the f to bed. Don't listen to Stay her. Stay away from the baby. <laughs> um, can I take you back just quickly to what you were saying before when you said I don't think um, you being maybe more defensive with regards to the producers was to your benefit? Do you mean? with regards to how you were portrayed or how you kind of enjoyed the experience and how you were able to sort of, you know, work through it all? I think in both, to be honest. I, I it's What I've learned over the time um, since doing the show is that there is real power in being vulnerable and being vulnerable doesn't make you a weak person. But at the time I thought if I was to show emotion or if I was to cry, that was going to then be misconstrued and used against me as a weapon. Yeah. And so I was really resistant of that. And so it meant that even though I was completely besotted with Matt in the last like week or two weeks leading up to the finale, I, I, I remember really um, I just I have this really intense memory of being in a Voxy and my producer trying to get out of me, like, just say you love him. Like, what is wrong with you? And I wouldn't do it. And I was in love with him, but I just wouldn't give her what she wanted mm. out of stubbornness and out of fear of how it was going to be used, not knowing that actually if she was trying to help me and she really wanted the audience to then be able to see what I was going through and how I was feeling, but I wasn't giving her that because I was so worried about how it'd be used against me. I would so be quite similar to that. Oh, you would be the definition of that. Yeah. Just, and I was I'd like, be the opposite. no, yeah. I'd be like, Stop take it. everything. I'm the most emotional person in the world. And and you really see those personalities. There are some girls that are so open and they're so emotional and the public really gets behind mm. them because, because vulnerability is beautiful. And then I think that sometimes when you have people who are really strong willed, even though they may be feeling all of those things because because as women, if you seem like you're fine and you resist help, you don't get help. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're a bit hard and you're a bit harsh. So I think sometimes I look back on it and I think, gosh, I really don't see the way I was feeling in the way I was behaving. When did you know he was it? Oh gosh. We we just got on so well from the first, like very first date. We just spent the whole time Was laughing. Is that the painting one? Yeah. I hate that I know yeah. that, but I okay, so you might not know this Laura. Oh my god, we have <laughs> Zara and I You have like a, a picture of it, like framed in your bedroom. <laughs> Zara and I used to have when we were at Mamma Mia a bachelor podcast, Batch Chat. Yeah, I do know the Batch Chat. Yeah, so we used to host that and for your season, the very first episode, we used to always put our like money on who was gonna win. Zara said you from the very the first The moment episode. you walk in. I you're said, my favourite, Zara. You're so welcome. At the moment. Rude, I don't think I said anyone yeah. that made it very, very far at no. all. It's someone blonde who got kicked out like episode three. I mean, it was oh. very obvious oh, to me. maybe Lisa? No, Lisa. Yes, yes. Lisa didn't get kicked out episode three, but, but Lisa's a legend. Yeah, and she yeah. got like a really good edit in the and first episode. And she's so hot. Yeah. So I would have picked her too. You are also <laughs> hot. Don't worry. But we remember watching, I remember us watching that scene together of you and Matt painting. And Zara looked at me and she's like, I've won this. I told you. It's so obvious. She's obviously going to win. And that was the weird thing is that they didn't try to hide, I don't think, the fact that you were kind of his obvious choice. It was the one season where I felt like it was so obvious that he was only interested in you. And no matter how the producers can try to twist it, there was not a second where after Zara said Laura's going to win, I was like, she's bloody right. Do you know, I think they really tried. That's the problem. I think they really did try and, and hide that it was me. And they tried to throw in a bit of drama from time to time that didn't even happen. I remember they tried to throw in some drama between Elise and I. And I was like, whoa, editing is amazing. That never happened. So you could really so, feel like scenarios could be constructed from the ground up. Scenarios can be. However, I don't – I genuinely don't think it's done very often. So yeah. I do think that when a lot of these people come out of reality TV shows and they've gotten a bad edit, like in quotation marks, it's because they've behaved like assholes. Yeah, okay. So there are enough people who are pretty shitty on the show that they – the producers don't need to make nice people seem like they're shitty. What they will do, though, is that – Obviously, for example, like if there is someone who who is 
um, going to be the winner or is maybe too squeaky clean, they might try and throw some jeopardy in there, yeah. which they need to do. But in saying that, you know, it was three and a half months. It's not like I was an absolute angel for three and a half months. There were days where I had bad days. So, of course, they're going to have some content where they can be like, oh, well, we'll put that in there. That'll throw people off the scent. What's it like to have the public either root or root against your relationship or feel like they have some kind of ownership on your relationship? It's really, really, do you know, we don't have any more. We're actually super lucky. Support is really positive now. But when we came out of the show, it was very 50-50. And that was because during the show, Tara was very much the fan favorite. So Tara went home at number three and, um, and Elise was the girl who I was with at the finale and she was also a beautiful girl and people really got behind her. Yeah. And like, she had a bit of the underdog thing going for her. And I think because a lot of people were like, Oh, Laura's a sure thing. That's a boring ending. We don't want that ending. Um, so we did, we got a lot of, a lot of challenges. And especially when Tara went home, we got death threats sent to us. Um, we got some awful messages by Instagram. Um, And I remember thinking, how on earth could our relationship survive this? Like, how will we ever be able to just be happy and be normal if so many people doubt us as a couple? But I think that's just a testament. If you're a real couple and you really love each other and you can get through those first three months of how volatile the public's opinion is, Mm. people come round. Because when these death threats were coming, am I right in thinking that you probably weren't seeing each other that much? No, we weren't seeing each other at all. So we were completely separate. So the first time we saw each other again was the finale night. And that was three days after Matt had just absolutely received a torrent of abuse for sending Tara home. So, of course, he was happy to see me. But in the same instance, he was like, you. (laughs) (laughs) This is all your fault. You did this. (laughs) Can I ask, was there a moment in the series when you guys were filming that you had an inkling? Can he say anything to you? Do you know what? I actually thought he would. Like I thought when he, so on our last hometown date, he gave me a picture, which he had drawn to make up for the shitty picture he made of me. And it was so nice. So it was framed and it was beautiful. And I got back to the Batch Mansion and I ripped it apart because I was like, surely this guy has written something and put it in this picture frame if he's made this and I'm going to be at the end. Smart. Yeah, he didn't. (laughs) There was nothing there. Matt, if you're listening, you really <laughs> yeah, that one you, as well. So you really kind of didn't have an idea. So no, and also I was um, I was definitely led down the garden path by producers to think that it wasn't me. So I had been told, you know, <laughs> regardless of what happens, like just accept it with dignity and grace and prepare what you're going to say that's respectful to him. And I was like, why do they keep telling me all these negative things? I wonder if they did the opposite to Elise. I don't know. I've never actually had that conversation with Elise, but I walked into our final rose ceremony 100% convinced that it wasn't me because of how I'd been made to feel during the lead up to it. So I I very much was like, okay, cool. I I know what I've got myself in for. I know that this is my own fault. I signed myself up for this and I'm just going to like, not be a dickhead on national TV and I won't slap him. <laughs> and yeah, cool. Let's do this. So that's why when he was like, I love you. I was like, I'm sorry. Wh- why, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> those, I actually still like, I, I'm, I'm so <laughs> emotional watching those last rows. We cry every oh, single time. I, I still can't watch ours because it makes me cry. Oh. And it's not just because of my feelings for him, but because of how highly intense that whole situation was. And it was just so, we were emotionally wrung by the end of it. Mm. So so you had those first few months after the show had aired where you thought, God, we're really going to have to hold on to this in order to make it work. Was there a point after that where you thought, I feel like when we're kind of in a safe space now, like this is it forever? Yeah. So I think just as we, we, we just have always been good. We've been really, really lucky. Like he's my best friend. We've always had such a good relationship connection. Like we really don't fight. And so it was probably after maybe two months of the intensity of the show and then the bachelorette started and it was Sophie Monk's season that things just kind of calmed down a bit and I really believe that if you're not chasing the paparazzi if you're not telling them where you are if you're not kind of you know really trying to hold on to that life it leaves you behind 
So we got left behind and I was so happy with Please that. leave us behind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like, of course, there's times where we're lucky enough to dip into it still and we can use it to our advantage. And I'm grateful that we have that, but it doesn't control our life. And that's what allows us to have a really normal relationship because it's not dependent on the public anymore by any means. Were you worried as someone who had a small business, were you worried that people would think that you were being opportunistic for going on a reality show? Was well, that like criticism that you got? Yeah, so people did actually. And Daily Mail wrote a really horrific article. That's not like the Daily so Mail. Nice. They're so nice. <laughs> and then Woman's Day picked it up and also wrote a really horrific article. So if you're listening, I don't like you either. <laughs> um, but, um, so there was uh, two articles that came out that were really hurtful. And the big one was um, straight after the finale. It was that Matt had wished he'd chosen Tara and they had put all these. So when you come out of the finale as a couple, you do a private photo shoot and that private photo shoot goes exclusively to Woman's Day because they own the rights for it. And they, the, we were pitched it as, you know, they're going to write a nice article. It'll be all beautiful. And what they actually did is they used all the photos that were taken when we were being told that they were testing the lighting or they were, you know, oh, just you guys just talk amongst yourselves. So, like, we look so disinterested in each other. We look like like I'm there rolling my eyes in one of them. Matt was just like, oh. And so they used those photos to try and make out that we were having issues in our relationship and that Matt regretted choosing me because the only reason why I had done the show was because I was trying to peddle my jewellery business on the side. Oh, my God. And it was really nasty because, if anything, I felt like I was trying to maintain this persona of being super professional because I didn't want to screw up my jewellery business because you can't control how it's going to go. You know, that's the thing. You do a reality TV show and you're completely at the mercy of, of how it all comes together and how you emotionally react on TV. So I was trying to really keep them separate. But at the same time, it's my only business. It's my only way of making an income. So of course, I still had to be active selling jewellery. Also, I don't, I'm, I don't begrudge anyone who kind of makes lem- like lemonade out of lemons. But it's still like, risky. Like, you know? Your personality then is really tied up with that business. And yep. If people don't like you, they're probably not going to buy your jewellery, which is stressful. Totally. And that's why that's what I had to keep in the back of my mind the whole time through filming because I was like, I this is I have so much risk here. Yeah. This is such a jeopardy to come into this and it's not just my my personal character that's going to be scrutinised. It's the business that I've spent seven years to build. Mm-hmm. And if I lose this... I've lost everything. I've yeah. lost my livelihood. So it really was a gamble. But we were really lucky that, you know, after the initial sort of well, – we had like a lot of people who supported us as well. But after that initial reaction that people have when they're not happy because it's very black and white on The Bachelor. It's either you pick the person I want or you pick the person I don't want. It's not, all the girls are lovely. Pick whoever makes mm. you happy. So once there's always that big moment as well where the shoe gets out of the car and everyone's like, whose shoe is it? I know. Oh, well, we got off a boat, so uh, we got lifted up by some guy and carried over the river. It was so <laughs> random. Um, but yeah, that, that, it took a while for it to kind of go back to normal, but it really did. So things did go back to normal and you guys started planning for a future together and you were in Bali, was it? And you had a pregnancy test? Oh, yeah, no, I wasn't with him in Bali, but yeah, yeah. I, was in, I was in Bali. So I was over there for work and um, I had been feeling a bit weird for a couple of weeks. And I was like, hmm, my boobs feel very weird. And maybe when did I get a period? I have no idea. So I trotted myself down to the chemist and bought a pregnancy test and then did that in Bali, which was really strange. I should have just waited till I came home. What were you so- thinking during those three minutes when you're waiting for the lines to come up? Because I've done pregnancy tests before and every time I'm like, I can't even look. I feel so <laughs> sick about this. I I think as I was doing it, I, I just realized how stupid it was that I was doing it whilst I was away from home because I was actually pretty certain that I was pregnant pregnant at the time and so I was like great I'm pregnant and I'm in Bali and I'm by myself and that was really dumb this Why is you just, yeah. yeah like who am I gonna tell so anyway the three minutes passed and I saw that I was pregnant and it wasn't what we had planned at that time um it was very much a surprise and I remember calling my sister and I was hysterical did you call your sister before you called him yeah <laughs> sorry Matt <laughs> I would I probably even, do the same. I would do I the same thing. I don't even think he knows that. Um, no, I called my sister because I didn't want to tell him over the phone. Yeah. I really wanted to tell him face to face. And as much as we had talked about having kids, we hadn't talked about it being now. We had said in 
which would have been a year's time from now. So we had always said like another 18 months. So yeah, it was a lot earlier than what we had decided. So um, I waited until I got home from the airport. The plan was that I would tell him like we'd go for lunch. I would let him know. I got in the car and I was like, I have something that I have to say. <laughs> and he just guessed it straight away. And he was like, you were pregnant. And then he pissed himself laughing <laughs> and was so happy. So it was actually a really nice reaction. And did it, the plans kind of change straight away? Were you like actually know? yeah, this is it. Like, this is what we want. Yeah, there was never, ever, like, a moment where we thought it wasn't what we were going to do. We were like, okay, cool, spanner, great, (laughs) babies, great. So, yeah, we just got on board with it really quickly. And then that all sort of progressed. Like, we booked in for our scans and we went through um, just that whole process. Like, we had really kind of gone from being, like, we're going to wait 18 months to being like, we're having a baby. Matt had called his family. Like before we had even made it from the airport to my house, he'd already called his mum and his sister. And then I, I remember going inside and I was like, and me not realizing he had called them. Cause I was, I was sort of, anyway, I was taking luggage in and I remember coming out saying like, Oh babe, just maybe just keep it to yourself for a little while. And he was like, Oh, oh I already, already told mum and Kate. Um, Kate's the uh, the mum of his beloved nephew, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, with George, George, George and Millie. Yeah, God, I feel like a come freak, on, guys, you like, know this. <laughs> of course, we know this. He's three. He's so cute. <laughs> so you were booking in those scans, and were you one one week from your yeah. ten week scan? Yeah. So we were actually at our we were at ten weeks, but okay. we were um, only a few days before the the ten week scan, and that's when I had felt really uncomfortable. But obviously, I've not been pregnant before, so I didn't know what is normal and what's not normal. And I had a little bit of bleeding at that time. And I had, you know, as you do when something goes wrong, you kind of Google it and self-diagnose. And I was like, oh, this could be normal. So it's probably fine. But then over the next few days, it just got worse and worse and worse. And that's when we found out that we were having, well, I was having a miscarriage at that point in time. And I mean, this is a nitty gritty question because I've never gone through it myself. But how do like, you know that you're bleeding. Do you go to a doctor and do they tell you that you're miscarrying? Or? Yeah, I... Well, for me, it was, we were away. We were actually down the snow. And so I didn't have time to go to the doctor right then. But it it got to a point where it was so much that it was so obvious that that's what was happening. And I was, it's, it's such an uncomfortable and like quite painful thing to go through that I was like, well, this is definitely what, what this is. So I didn't go to the doctors with any hope of it being any different. Um, So when we found out from the doctors that that's what was happening, I was like, cool. Well, I, I thought that. But by then we were both so upset because we had had a complete shift on what we wanted and where we were at and what we were ready for. So even though when I found out I was pregnant, it was a surprise. Uh, One of the big things I sort of had come to realise is that surprise, a surprise pregnancy is not synonymous with being an unwanted pregnancy. And that was a massive life-changing thing for me. And that would be something where you look to the next five years or even 20 years and you completely map out your life and you make so many plans and you get so excited and then for that to suddenly be taken away from you, it would just feel like you've been thrown around so much with what your life's going to look like. Yeah, and it, it, it was definitely that. And then on top of it, it was the the when you have mentally prepared and you've gotten excited about something and and then it's not, not happening and you're like, oh, well, well then are we going to wait eight, 18 months now because this is what I thought was happening and this is what I'm excited for. And I was just lucky that Matt and I were both on the same page. We were like, oh, let's just see what happens. Yeah. So did it pull you quite closely together in those sort of days and weeks after? Definitely. He, um, he, Matt's just the best. Like he's, he is such a supportive and very emotionally aware person, uh, which I think is pretty rare for guys. Um, so he's, he's the more of the emotional one in the relationship than what I am, (laughs) but it makes him really sensitive and it makes him acutely aware when I'm not okay. Mm. And so he was just there the whole time. And he, he did like, there's not a thing I could fault about him during that period. Um, yeah, it was it was hard, but it definitely made us better as a couple as well. So you said you guys wanted to start trying straight away after that. Was there any apprehension or nerves or fear that the same thing could happen again? Definitely. So yeah. that was my, my biggest concern was that I at the time thought, I don't know anyone who's had a miscarriage. I don't know why this has happened to me and there must be something wrong with me. And even though the doctor was very much like, no, this is so normal, like don't worry about it because there wasn't anyone from my friendship group or anyone that I had ever spoken to that had been through something similar 
my my only assumption was that well well we're going to find it really hard to to fall pregnant so that's what I thought I thought it would take a long time and, and how long was it it was only a few months it was only a few weeks. A few weeks. It was a few weeks. Yeah. So it was um, by the time it was my next cycle, I was already pregnant again. But I didn't know that. So I didn't find out that I was pregnant, this pregnancy, until I was 10 weeks pregnant. And the problem was is that I had had bleeding all the way through the start of this pregnancy. So when I found out I was pregnant, I was really concerned thinking that the same thing was happening yeah. because it had not been a normal start to our pregnancy by any means. Um, and we, well, I still had bleeding up until probably five months of oh my, my pregnancy. God. I do want to read out a quote from your terrificnews.com.au piece, which we will link in the show notes of this episode as well. But this quote really stuck out to Zara and I. It was everything that we wanted, but in that moment, our excitement was muted by the very real fear that our happiness could be taken away. How is it to have a pregnancy where that fear is present? And is it still present now? It's not now. Like now we're only eight weeks out from, from having a baby, which is crazy. We really need to get the nursery ready <laughs> and buy a capsule. Um, but it was, I guess, because the first time we were so excited and it was all so new and there was nothing that had, had clouded that except for the fact that it was a surprise. So the second time we were like, oh, well, don't get too excited because it might not happen. And I think that that is what is often said to you. It's why why the doctors say don't tell anyone until you hit your three-month mark. Um, you know, try and keep it to yourself because it is just such a common thing, but it's a thing that we don't talk about at all. So how are you feeling now? Amazing. Yeah. I'm feeling very pregnant, but I feel great. Yeah, I've been um, really, really lucky so far, and I feel like one of those obnoxious pregnant people who – like don't want to tell other pregnant people that they're so great. <laughs> Everything's been fine. There's nothing like, honestly, there's nothing that I can complain about. There was one thing that annoyed us on mm. your behalf. Oh God, what did I do? While you being pregnant. No, no we no, were annoyed on your behalf. We were annoyed at the commentary around a um, recorder league post that you put up <sighs> while you're pregnant. And obviously I think it should make sense in our head. It made sense. We actually covered this on one podcast episode that if you like a type of cider, you're going to like it regardless of whether you're pregnant or not. And even though you're not drinking, it while you're pregnant you can still say that the cider is a good cider it was look it, that that whole situation was super tricky so the the um the circumstances around it was that one I do like recorder league cider and I do drink Same. recorder league cider <laughs> so when recorder league approached Matt and I and said you know do you guys want to do some some influencer stuff for us we were like yeah we love recorder league they sent us a case like not even a case a pallet of recorder league <laughs> cider and um the campaign that we had signed with them was over a six-month period and I didn't find out at the time I, I wasn't pregnant of course when I said yes to it and like it's a product I use it's a product I like and that to me is the most important thing yeah. is you know, because the, the the Instagram side of things is such a side hustle for me. It's not in any way a core business. So I would only ever do things that are products that I, I use. So um, we were one month out and that's when I found out because I found out so late in my pregnancy that I was pregnant um, from, from, you know, the last of the posts. And I was like, well, I can't, I can't not do it because then I have to explain to them why I'm not posting it. I was like, Two, the photo was already taken when I didn't know I was pregnant, so I had drunk the recorder league in the first place. And I was like, oh, let's just let's just get it up and then, you know, when I do announce the pregnancy, see what happens. And, um, yeah, a, a, a Daily Mail uh, journalist. And it was just, do you know what? <laughs> because they are very good journalists. Um, it was more the way he said it. He tried to do it in a very, like, oh, congratulations. I just have a concern. Have you been drinking during your pregnancy? So concerned. Yeah. Did you put that message on your Instagram story? I, I did. Because I feel like I remember reading it. Yeah, I did. And I wasn't it's very patronising. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you no, know, he was, yeah, it it was super patronizing and the way it was done was um it was it just it was loaded with a lot of judgment and i understand that i understand the gray area of this and you shouldn't be no way should a pregnant person be endorsing drinking that's crazy but in my way of sort of justifying it is that i wasn't pregnant no, no one no one in the public could know that i was pregnant and so i couldn't deviate from what had already been 
my normal behavior. So that was sort of how I had justified it to myself and really didn't see the issue in it. But I was happy with whatever backlash we were going to receive. I was more just angry by this journalist thinking it was okay to shame and and the way he had done it. Mm. And he had already written the article. He'd already posted it on Daily Mail before he'd waited for my response. So it wasn't in retaliation to the article. It was retaliation to him. Mm. And um, I put his I, – so I, I copied his his – I wish I, I should probably have it on my phone somewhere. I copied his um, message to me and put that publicly on my stories and he just copped a torrent of abuse from angry pregnant women oh. <laughs> who are not the people that you want to mess yeah. with because we are hormonal. <laughs> it was interesting to me because when you guys did come out publicly with your pregnancy, you also came out publicly with the miscarriage and for the conversation to be diluted by a cider ad and backlash around that must have been incredibly frustrating for you. Well, the reason why we wanted to talk about the miscarriage and it was in no way for people to feel sorry for us or because we felt sorry for us. It was because my experience of miscarriage is that no one had talked about it and I felt incredibly alone and I didn't want our pregnancy story to be all happiness and, and all beautiful and for people who were going through a very similar pregnancy like I did to think that they were alone. So I didn't want to um, yeah, because I, I know what it's like when other people are having happy pregnancy announcements and you're like, well, I'm sitting on the couch feeling absolutely miserable. Um, and so, yeah, it felt more genuine to do it that way. And so when that side of thing came out, look, it was a few weeks afterwards um, after the announcement. So we still got to have all the really nice publicity and, and the really nice like just show of support from people who do know us and and support us. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just a bit messy and it was a bit of a gray area where I wasn't sure at the start whether I was in the wrong or whether or not I could really kind of have some backlash on that towards him. We're both shaking our heads because we defended you in that quick and dirty segment months ago. We were so annoyed. We were so annoyed on your behalf. We were like, this is such bullshit. Like as if people can't connect the dots that... She could have been drinking these beforehand. She's, well, like, she's posted yeah. about this and, before. And it's just that was the thing that was crazy to me is that it's not like it's something that I was like, hey, I'm pregnant, drink recordingly. <laughs> I was very much like I am not pregnant at all. There was nothing in social media that would have like even – and I didn't know I was pregnant. Mm. I had no idea. That photo was taken when I was 10 weeks pregnant. Yeah. And so that's when I found out three days afterwards. So that's what the crazy thing was. And it was just a real name and shame, I thought. Yeah. It was just an incredibly one-dimensional way to look at social media to assume that, I don't know. But just give people the yeah. benefit of the doubt. Like, I'm so sick of everyone jumping on this outrage bandwagon as well and being like, how dare X post Y. It's like just people are people just give them the benefit of the doubt above anything else yeah. I think what's next for you apart from having a baby well I mean the baby <laughs> oh my goodness a baby so um what's next um are you excited to be a mum you must be like have you just, thought about being a mum I don't know I, I'm excited yes but I, I don't like know if I've thought question. about it that's the thing I, I've seen my sister and how she's sort of grown into being a mum over the past nine months and that's been such a beautiful thing to be a part of and I think when someone in your family, like your sister or your brother who you're close to, has a child and you become an auntie, it's like it's your baby. Like his, like Archer is my baby and what I just let name. my sister take care of him. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. It's a great name, isn't it? Um, so I think for me, it's just really trying to enjoy what the last of this pregnancy is yeah. and then adapt to what sort of mum I'm going to be Do you know because if it's I don't know. Or, do you know if it's a boy or a girl? No, we have no idea. Have you like tossed yeah. around name ideas? I'm so curious yeah. as to what kind of name you two are going to come up with. Because um, Laura and Matt are very true. Like, sh- you should share it on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, 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 baby. I've been telling everyone. I really don't mind. We we've got. We've got a very big shortlist. Yeah. So there's this awesome app which you can download which matches you with your partner and then you can kind of Tinder baby names. So we've been Tindering baby names and we've probably got about 70. So oh this poor kid. We're just going to have one of those really, really obnoxiously long names, like 15 names <laughs> and then hyphenated Burn Johnson at the end. Will it be Burn Johnson at the no, end? No, it would just be Johnson. Yeah. yeah. What kind of vibe do you what kind of vibe? go for with names? Is it like <laughs> old school? <laughs> I love baby names. I could talk. <laughs> About baby names no, all day, every day. So my favorite, if it's a girl, I really want to call it Marley May. 
That's my that's face. Beautiful. Oh my um, I can't believe you just said that. Oh, I can't I believe get... you just made her say that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind. Hopefully, I'm going to have a baby before anyone else is listening to this <laughs> yeah. podcast, and there's like not 50 Molly Mays yeah. in the kids' school. Um, but we haven't decided on a boy's name yet, so okay, right. that's. And I don't even know if Matt's agreed to Molly May, yeah. but that's my favorite. Tell so. you what you do. You do what my mum did, and mum will be so angry for me telling this story now. But it's a good story. <laughs> is it when she um, gave birth to my older brother? They had decided that he would be called Nick, and then she went through like this 12-hour labor and the baby came out and it was my brother and the doctor said what's the baby's name and my mom said Joel and my dad was like wait what but you can't disagree in that moment <laughs> so you just like I keep it. you up your sleeve for after labor and you're like actually the baby's called this and you're not disagreeing well I kind of had that conversation so Matt wanted to call the baby Percy if it was a boy okay. yeah okay <laughs> no I like I like it Shell. so he said he said to me just casually one day he was like hey what do you think of the name Percy and I was like I know absolutely <laughs> he was like oh it's my granddad's name I'm like oh yes yeah, you'll know because you get Johnson so you get the last name so, so I feel like I get to pick the first name or at least the middle name so true so that way there's something of me in there I think you get like a 60 40 split you get 60 percent of the sway with the first name. yeah and I'm like. pushing the baby out so yeah come on give me something but May is like our family middle name so that's something that kind of resonates with us um, hence why my, my, yeah. my business is called Tony May um, and he can have Johnson and then, okay, we'll meet 50-50 on the first name. <laughs> that sounds amazing. We do finish every episode with the same question and it is asking you who you, the women in your life that you have that you look up to, the people that keep you sane and grounded. I imagine your sister is on that list. Yeah, now. my sister's my number one. So she, we have just the best relationship. We're business partners, we're best friends. Um, we kind of grew up sharing the same bedroom and we hated each other as kids do. Um, but yeah, she's just, she's a really, really wonderful mom. She's an incredibly grounded person. She has good values and she's very steadfast as a person. Whereas I'm definitely more of the like, woo, (laughs) and she brings me back to reality. Um, so yeah, she's my number one. Uh, obviously like my, my mom and my grandma as well. I'm really lucky to have both my grandparents still around, um, so from a family perspective, I would definitely say them. Um, is that what you are yeah. meaning? Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. mean, I think the funny thing is when we ask this question, everyone's like, oh, they're all the cliche ones, but it's like my mom and my sister. And I'm like, well, it means you're pretty normal. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, I was going to say from like a social media, because yeah. I also think that it's social media is such a exactly. prolific part of people's lives these days. And it definitely has taken over a big part of my life. But I really enjoy people who show the the light and the grey of social media. So, like, I really enjoy people like Jade Tunchi, who has the real Jade. Who was on that microphone just before you Was were she? About an hour ago. Girl, I love that girl. <laughs> so I really appreciate people who just show that, that real life is not so perfect. Um, the sisters, American sisters, Erin Foster and Sarah Foster, I think that they've got, like, they're very sarcastic and I think that um, I enjoy their sense of humour over social media as much as I enjoy them showing themselves with no makeup and then also looking like absolute bloody Victoria's Secret models, which is so painful, but still. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that people who show light and shade in their lives are, are really aspirational. Laura, thank you so much for joining us. We can't tell you how much we enjoyed this chat. I know. Thank you for being so generous with your time and, and your stories. And we, we really have loved having you on. Not at all, guys. Thanks for having me. It's been the best. Thank you so much for joining us on this In Conversation episode of Shameless with Laura Byrne. If you loved hearing all of the things Laura had to say, you can find her on Instagram at Lady and a Cat. While you're scrolling, you can find us there too. We're at Shameless Podcast. We will see you guys on Monday. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. 
there is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.